it's easier to recruit at some schools than others. But what what is the recruiting potential of a place like Washington State or or maybe a Cal where it's seen as not very easy to get players to come to your school? We'll discuss with Sports Illustrated's director of recruiting, John Garcia. Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12 Podcasts. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. And anytime we want to stay up to date with all things Pac-12 recruiting, we bring on my guest today, John Garcia, Jr., the Director of Recruiting for Sports Illustrated. Welcome back on the pod, my friend. Good to be back with you talking Pac-12. It's uh, it's going to be a busy time of year. So all, all the numbers we talk about today, please, folks, take that with uh, an asterisk because they'll all go up eventually. But, you know, some need that more than others. Yeah, we're, we're talking very big picture recruiting today because I was just thinking about, you know, the, the sorts of recruits that are, are going to, to this school versus that school and the sort of players that are even in the mix. And, you know, one of the things that actually prompted this, John, was that text I sent you where I couldn't believe that Cal had made the final seven for five-star quarterback Jaden Rashada. I was like, that looks like the kid who's under 21 at the 21 and over bar. Like, how, how did he get in there? But nevertheless, they're there, though I don't expect them to get very far, and we will talk about Cal. But I want to start with Washington State. Mike Leach has made comments over the years reflecting back on his time. I think it was actually during his time in Pullman, you know, like I'm able to win games against a school like Oregon with the guys that they have. Imagine what I could do with, with those guys. And basically just admitting what we all know to be true, which is it's tough to get big time players up in Pullman. Washington as a state increasingly has a, a pretty talented pool of high school players coming out, but still the premier recruiting power in the region historically has been Washington. And it's a lot easier to convince kids to go to Seattle than it is to go uh, up to Pullman. So how should Jake Dickert and, and his staff approach recruiting and, and how do they convince players to go up to school up there at the Palouse? Yeah, not easy. Not easy. It's it's always been a school that when it's had success, it's been kind of a niche, right? Obviously under Leach, they're throwing it all over the yard. And you look at some of those rosters, a lot of development and experience came along with some of the best rosters and, and teams that we've seen up in Pullman over the last decade plus. So I think with Dickert, it's an interesting hire because coming from Wyoming and some of the places he's been, it's kind of the same formula. Uh, so I do think that he could be the right guy to establish that and start to develop and build uh, rosters for the long haul. But therein lies the issue, right? Spencer, it's college football in 2022 where nobody has – a four or five year window to fix it like they used to. If anything, that window has shrunk to two years, maybe three at best. And you have to utilize other avenues uh, to try to fulfill uh, these rosters out. So you can't rely on identifying those diamonds in the rough and developing them over three or four years, but you can now supplement with junior college and the transfer portal to try to accel accelerate 
that part of the process. So I think Wazoo has to rely on that same kind of calling card. Um, it's not going to be great. You, you, you can't really recruit nationally, but you can recruit the overlooked, underdeveloped prospects. I would go into odd areas of the country, particularly we talk about Wyoming and the Plains and heading that that way towards the Midwest. There is talent out there. So you wonder if if those resources will enable him to build more in that region uh, because competing in the classic Pac-12 footprint, like you said, Spencer, the LA Metro, even the Bay Area, Seattle, Phoenix, those metros are kind of covered. Everybody knows to hit those metros. So it'll be harder for Wazoo to do that unless it really stretches what it wants from a recruiting perspective. Do you, are you the first Pac-12 offer for a kid in the Pac-12 footprint? Maybe those things can help you stay in the game more, but it's about getting kids to campus and visiting. And that's just not something uh, that Wazoo can hang with relative to some of the other schools, even in the Pac-12, much less when you get outside of that footprint. So I do think development and, and taking more chances are going to be the angles to try to build out this, this Washington state roster. I do think it's a good time for Wazoo to try to influx more talent into that roster because Washington is down. They've gone through as much transition as, as Washington state has gone through. So there is a bit of a window here uh, relative to the in-state recruits that, that might be a, a, big, a bigger selling point or at least a different or counter selling point to Washington, but overall, Pretty tough. Uh, again, I'd, I'd go Juco heavy, portal heavy, and and look at guys who want an outside-the-box type of opportunity because certainly that can be offered up there. If you're thinking about it from a, a recruiting rankings perspective and like where their high school classes can stack up nationally before you factor in the transfer portal, because now you look on 24-7, you've got three ratings. You've got high school, you've got your composite rating, which is then factoring in the transfer portal, which has its own unique uh, class rating nationally as well. Just looking at it from a, a high school perspective, if someone were to go in there and recruit at what Washington State would consider to be a very high level compared to what the expectations are, what do you think that ceiling, like the absolute highest point on the ceiling is? Do you think it's it's top 20, top 30? Like where, where could they go if they had a staff that was recruiting really, really well? Yeah, I think if you, if you hit lightning in a bottle, with a certain recruit and maybe those around him, I could, I could liken it to maybe what Arizona did at the end of the 2022 cycle where you get Noah Fafita and he's got some big time teammates at a big time school in, in Servite in California. And now all of a sudden there's momentum offensively that kind of just buys into what you want anyway. So I think in that light, maybe top 25 is the absolute ceiling for a Washington state, but the reality of those dominoes aligning, those stars aligning, what have you, is pretty rare. Even for Arizona to get that, Oregon had to go through their coaching chain. So Ted Tyrell and McMillan would, would be back on the market. So it, even then, it's still hard to galvanize a position group. But historically, Washington state offensively has been able to put up numbers. So I do think there's still a selling point for quarterbacks, for offensive tackles and wide receivers in that type of system. So I do think it would have to start there, Spencer, maybe with a more marquee quarterback who's for some reason not at the highest level. Maybe he's ultra productive, but he's smaller or he's a dual threat. They don't know about his arm talent. 
uh, and Washington State can say, hey, we'll develop that and, and latch on to a popular recruit. That stuff could galvanize a, a commitment class, but it's it's still hard. It's still hard to do and even hard to identify because then all of a sudden you're putting a lot more eggs into a, a more limited basket, which could also backfire, right? Because other schools can recognize that and come in and theoretically, you know, compete and or win some of those battles. So it's not easy, uh, but I do think if everything aligns, you could challenge for a top 25 spot maybe once every, every few years. And that's just the reality of, of a program like Washington State, you know, but it's it's got to translate on the field. You've got to come off of one of these Gardner Minshew type of years where people are paying attention to what's going on up there. Um, but even then, it, it was hard to capitalize off of. Yeah, they, they've had some gunslingers over the years. Luke Falk, Gardner Minshew. I, I mean, they've had some quarterbacks who are, are not the flashiest, who are not the biggest prospects or biggest recruits. But then you look up and you're like, well, gee whiz, he had another 300 yard, four touchdown game. That yeah. seems that, that seems pretty darn good. The school right now with the most commits in the class of 2023 at this point in time is certainly not the one you would expect. We'll tell you who after I remind you that we've been asking and built delivered built granola bars are here. They come in three unbelievable flavors, chocolate, peanut butter, chocolate, coconut, and white chocolate berry. Want to try all three? You can get a mix box right now at built.com. 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, only four grams of sugar. Built granola bars will charge your world. Built has cracked the code to better granola. Go to built.com to get built granola bars now. Use promo code LOCK15. Get 15% off your order. That is promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. It's still very early in the class of 2023 recruiting cycle, and we understand that. But still, I don't think anyone would expect that at any point in time, the school that has the most commits in the Pac-12 on the recruiting trail in a class is Colorado. Another place where historically you can win. You got to have a couple things go your way. But Colorado has been to a Pac-12 championship game back in, in the 2016 season. They lost to Washington, but that was a 10-win campaign. So it's not easy to win there. It's not easy to recruit there, but it's also not impossible. What do you think the the limitations and challenges are of recruiting in Boulder are for Carl Durrell and his staff? Yeah, I think it's a self-awareness issue, right? Uh, this is a program that if you ask 50 people, 30 will say they're in the Big 12, not the Pac-12. So I do think that there's a, an identity situation to deal with there. Um, but, but that should help you, right? That should help you go into Texas where there's there's already uh, verbal commits uh, committed to CU at this point. Uh, but, but look, I, I think it's one of those outside-the-box places that you got to get kids on campus at because it's beautiful. It's different. It is, it is unique relative to some others in the PAC 12 or even in the big 12. Uh, so I do think that's, that's the issue is if, can you get kids on campus at the right time, right? You know, if, if you're recruiting in Florida where they, they do have another commitment from there as well, you probably want to bring the kid in for a visit in the off season, this time of year where it's, you know, it's not super hot out, but it's not, snowing either right you know you want to kind of line that up i think some of those things matter uh, in recruiting um but yeah it's it's another situation where locally there's only so much recruiting you can do year in year out and you have to go outside of the footprint uh and then when you start to do that there are other programs that are just more prevalent in in some of those areas but i do like the effort of Darrell and company 
at least early in 2023, going outside of that footprint. I mentioned Texas and Florida. They got a kid from Pennsylvania committed. They're, they're pushing outside of the conventional Pac-12 slash Big 12 footprint. Uh, and I think that's a good thing for Colorado because it, it is offering something different to maybe kids that are not aware of, of that type of opportunity or, or that even that part of the country. And once you do get them on campus, there is an appeal towards, you know, staying there and, and playing your college football there. So I was talking to Isaiah Harge, who's one of their commits um, that receiver. And yeah, he was just like, man, I, I visited and it was so different that I was like, I need my family to visit. So he ended up, you know, doing the whole thing in relatively short order because it was so different than South Florida where, where he's grown up. Uh, so I do think that there's an appeal to schools like that. But again, Isaiah Hard's a good player, but not a top 20 receiver in the state of Florida. So you have to identify reasonable talent amid this identity crisis that, that might be happening uh, at a school like Colorado. So it, it's quite unique, but you know, the, the winning has, has happened. Uh, so educating recruits on that is a big deal. And then obviously getting them on campus is the next step. And, and I think that's that combination is why they do have the biggest class in the Pac-12 right now. I find the Bay Area schools to be fascinating because they're both premier academic institutions, certainly the top two in, in the conference. I think USC is probably uh, a close third, but Berkeley is behind Stanford. And those two, I, I think, are pretty distinctly above the others. And that's a selling point that I feel like Stanford has made on the recruiting trail much more so than Cal has. When you think about a football player who is also going to heavily consider his academic potential at a school, you're going to go basically to either Stanford or Notre Dame. And so in that sense, it feels almost like an advantage for the Cardinal because you're going to be able to go to a school and get whoever the smartest kid is that, right? I mean, they're looking for a specific sort of player. I was talking about that the other day. Stanford knows what they are looking for there, but it feels like it holds them back a little, but not a ton. Whereas with Cal in Berkeley, to me, it just feels like the, the educational standards they have are nothing but a hindrance. Am I nuts for feeling that way? No, not at all. And I think that's that's a great point because they both sell something similar. They're they're located, you know, basically near each other uh, in the Bay Area. But Stanford does it nationally. Cal does it regionally, and both have had on field success at times and shown you can win with that. But I think Stanford gets away with more because they're able to do it all over the place, right? I mean, just just looking at the running back position, Stanford as their lead back this year, should, I think is going to be A.J. Smith, Emmett's son. He's from Texas. McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey's from Colorado. They signed a kid from Canada two cycles ago. Um, you know, you, you can, can do, do it from a national sense, even like Davis Mills, who's now starter in the NFL from Atlanta. You know, you can go national at Stanford as, more so than a lot of programs in the Pac-12, and that academic value uh, is is certainly known and understood. Like the moment Stanford gets interested in a kid outside of of that footprint, with Cal, with Justin Wilcox, it is more localized. It is more regional uh, for the Bears, but that should still be okay. Even if you just stay in the Pac-12 footprint, there's enough talent to build out a strong college football roster. But then I think the academics hurt when you start to compete with USC, UCLA, 
Oregon, uh, Washington, some of the other schools that we think offer something similarly on the field. Now, all of a sudden off the field, you are hurt because it takes longer to get admitted. You're still waiting on the test scores to come in. And that creates a hesitation from the coaching staff as to where at the other schools, they're all in quicker and sooner and more consistently. So there is a push and a pull with the academic side there. And it's something that we see a lot of programs struggling with, not named Notre Dame mainly. Uh, and I think Stanford is probably in terms of those schools, you know, the number two recruiting school nationally. But but again, those two can recruit at a national level. Cal, Vanderbilt, Duke, you know, those schools can't. They, they have to recruit regionally, and it does hurt them when the academics come into play relative to the other schools that they're competing against. My mom would be remiss if I didn't point out that Washington also has some decent academic standards. Uh, she I was going to say UCLA folks are going to be in your mentions. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, 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 they might be up there too. Like there, there are several, but I think Cal and Stanford are clearly above the rest. By the way, are Canadian college football players a thing? I've seen Canadian college basketball players, but Canadian college football recruit is that I, I don't know that I've seen that before. It's it's becoming a thing. You know, Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State was a monster and, and he kind of put football on the map up in Canada. And now, yeah, I think you're the number one offensive tackle in the country is probably uh, a, an international kid this year. Um, you look at the last few years and there's some Canadian influences on on big time rosters. John Mechie from Alabama is Canadian. He just got drafted. It's it's becoming a thing, especially in, in that Toronto Montreal corridor. Yep. I, I did not know that. I knew they had Canadian football, and that's where we typically send our, our former college players who didn't make it to the NFL <laughs> down here in the States. That, that That's where they go. But Canadian recruit, I mean, I've seen it in basketball for years. I mean, basketball recruiting at the collegiate level is wildly international. I mean, they go mm -hmm. every, they go to African countries. They go to European. Arizona just signed, a, a, I think it's Vessar, Vessar, something like that. He's from a European country. Like, you see that all the time, but starting to become a thing in football. That's an yep. interesting thing to note. Uh, one other school that I feel like it's it's tough to recruit at in the Pac-12, and I put these four together because I, I think they're probably the four hardest places to recruit in the conference. Doesn't mean they finish as the bottom four each year, but I think when you look at the institutional investment from their school and where they're located in the program history. I think it's just the toughest. And you you see the recruiting class rankings pretty much bearing that out in recent years, say for Arizona State, who we're going to get to here to, to wrap up today's show. But Oregon State is in Corvallis. And, you know, it's not that different from Eugene. I, I've been to both places. I grew up in the state of Oregon. But Oregon as a football program has elevated themselves onto a level where you know they can go into a Texas, an Alabama, a Florida, or be a major player in California, whereas at Oregon State, it's it's significantly tougher. And I think Jonathan Smith is a really smart X's and O's head coach and knows what he is doing and has built them back up to be relevant again in the conference, whereas they were just dreadful for a, a couple of years yeah. uh, at the end of Gary Anderson's tenure and then Smith's first year, but he's done nothing but continue to improve. So what's the potential of, of recruiting on the high school trail and in the transfer portal, frankly, at a place like Oregon state that I, I would say is probably a step above a Cal or a Washington state. If you're talking about 
program tradition and recruiting potential and, and you know how well known they are nationally but still certainly a step or two below some of the other schools we talk about yeah i think it's it's really hard there there's, there's no doubt about it uh i do i do like that you added in the transfer portal because i do think for schools like an oregon state in particular that is where you can pluck talent that is is just waiting to simmer. Um, and, and I think that's where you, you need to spend a little bit more resources to compete on a year to year basis. Uh, and then maybe you can supplement that with smart Jonathan Smith evaluations where he's able to develop uh, certain prospects, particularly on the offensive side of the football. And then now you can, you can bridge that gap and, and supplement with the portal and, and kind of go back and forth there. I think you got to do it at a school like this. Uh, it's not, again, geographically, we just talked about the Pacific Northwest. Um, th there are great metros um, and, and they have to dip into Washington. And that's, I think both commits right now are from the state of Washington for, for Oregon State right now. Um, so that's something you got to stay prevalent in. And again, like we said with Wazoo, that door is a little bit more open now than five years ago, certainly relative to Washington's success. Oregon's going through a transition as well. So you look across the state and, and, and they recruit so nationally that maybe hyper locally Oregon State can take advantage. If there's a kid who's, you know, battling between these two programs, uh, Oregon State should have offered first, should be the school that is more consistent with him relative to Oregon because they're going to recruit from a true national perspective so there are some benefits uh regionally for for the beavers but it, it's not a lot you know you have to dip into california and compete with those programs and then if you do go outside the footprint it, again you go back to the colorado identity issue you know folks are going to confuse you with oklahoma state because of the same colors and the same osu and and associate you with offensive football like you do with the pokes even though it's a, a bit unfair there so you got to get that identification situation cleared then get them on campus outside of the footprint two hurdles that are easier said than done uh for a program like that so i do think you got to go hyper local sub-regional and then really supplement with the transfer portal where you say hey you were at school X and you were good here. You can come be great. You'll be more experienced and you, you know, develop into this kind of system where we can play a, a prospect of your caliber. Um, I think that's where you start to think of even junior college recruiting a little bit more for a school like that, you know, hit those Kansas Juco's the California Juco's really hard and see if you can get more mature prospects into your roster from a physical standpoint relative to, focusing on on high school recruiting like most uh, of your Pac-12 uh, programs will do. So there, there's a ways around it, but it's not easy. It's got to be creative. And, and like you said, if Jonathan Smith is as smart as we think he is, he's going to have to build that kind of strategy. Yeah, and they I have had some success with JUCO guys. Like I think it's Rajon Wright. There, I know there were there were the Wright brothers on there, but one of them came from the JUCO ranks, and and one did not. But they've been players in the secondary for Oregon State, and I, I'm with you that that's something that they, you know, it just it just has that sort of some things just feel right. It just makes sense in your head, like Washington State, Oregon State going into the the junior college ranks to find some players who can come and help them out. I think that makes a lot of sense there are and there's more juco available too right because yep yep the portal the portal has really hurt juco recruiting for most programs so in theory the top level of juco talent that normally goes into you know ap top 25 type schools the the middle and the back end of that tier uh, are now 
going to FCS or, or non-Power 5 programs. So that pool in junior college in particular should be bigger because of the transfer portal. So that's something to address as well, for sure. Good yeah. Point. So we, we, we've talked about the programs that have some recruiting limitations just because of their geographical location. And, you know, you only want to bring in a recruit on a visit in the spring or summertime to Corvallis or Pullman because it could be a, a little bit miserable and hard to sell when, when you're talking about the weather. But one place where that is not the case is Tempe and Herm Edwards and the staff there, as they say, has stepped in it, and now they have completely wiped clean the slate of assistants that they've got, and it's, I mean, it's a mess, and they they don't have a timeline from the NCAA either on when the investigation will wrap up. I mean, that's got to be the toughest part of all of this for, for Arizona State, a program that pulled in back-to-back top 30 recruiting classes in, in 2019 and 2020, I believe it was, and I was looking at that the other day, that doesn't surprise me. You go to Tempe, it's warm all year round. It's a beautiful campus. They've got they've got good facilities down there. But now it's just it's just fallen off. Do you think ASU from a recruiting perspective is just stuck in the mud until they get some resolution here because now they have all new assistants. Kind of feels like they, you know, maybe scapegoated them a touch, but they were like we don't need to go into all of that and whatnot. But what what? Are, how do they go forward from here? How do they wipe the slate clean and kind of get back to where they were? Well, they went transfer portal heavy, and I think that's yeah. that's something they kind of had to do, right? They had a ton of high school decommitments. Uh, they they only brought in nine high schoolers uh, in this class of 2022. So yeah, they they had to go portal heavy uh, with with other guys. Now they they did a good job there. You know, I think Emory Jones is is going to be uh, a good player for them. I mean, he's he's one of the the most experienced quarterbacks in, in college football, um, and he's a dual threat, all that fun stuff. So I think on field, it could be a, a bit of a mirage, right? Because I think they could be solid. But when you look at the recruiting rankings to reflect that, you're like, wait, where's the where's the the, the loss in translation part of this? And, and it's because of the looming NCAA investigation. Herm Edwards is still there. I thought that was uh, an interesting decision from the athletic department because you could have just clean slate, cut your losses and started over. This was the year to go get and get a coach. They didn't. Um, so that hesitation, I think, led to a lot more Sun Devils hitting the portal on their end with, with an opportunity to look elsewhere. Uh, so it's going to be a totally rebuilt roster through uh, the portal uh, in 2022. And I think that's kind of best case scenario. I, I don't envision ASU bringing in a big class from the high school ranks in 2023 because of that uncertainty. You can't even say not only will you not know if Herm Edwards will be your head coach if you want to commit to ASU, but you won't know how many bowl games you could play in. You know, all of all of these important things that really, you know, start to project into other things. Right. You know, as many games, the most games you can play is the most tape you could put out if you're an NFL guy or if you've you've jumped into NIL the more games, the more exposure you can have to build your brand. And those are uncertainties at ASU relative to every other school just about in college football. So it is a slippery slope, and, and I think it's going to hinder high school recruiting in particular. So, again, hit JUCOs, guys who are on their last chance, and or guys through the portal 
who are just looking to put out some kind of new tape at a new position or a new school relative to where they were at. And, and that's about as good as you could hope for uh, if you're Herm Edwards in Arizona State at this point, because I just don't envision them competing with what they used to compete with, right? They used to go in and compete with Ohio, or USC and Oregon for some recruits and win some of those battles. We mentioned the footprint in the state of Arizona is growing from a recruiting perspective, and they're not taking advantage. Arizona, after one win last year, is more so taking advantage because of those circumstances. So it is a crutch that you just don't know how long it will take for, for that program to overcome. The man with all the recruiting insight you could ever need, John Garcia, Jr., the director of recruiting for Sports Illustrated. Appreciate it as always, John. Thanks for having me back on, Spencer. Take care. I appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.